0: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis, just for good measure. On today's podcast, we have news on Manchester United, Manchester City, Spurs, Liverpool, Barcelona, Chelsea, we've even got Locomotive Moscow in the mix. What more could you ask for? i mean, McGowan, with me as always is transfer guru Duncan Castles. We're running out of time in the window, Duncan. Things are hotting up in terms of moves, both in and out of the biggest clubs, as well as some of the slightly not so big clubs. We will have all of the up-to-date news that you haven't heard anywhere else, except here on the Transfer Window podcast. Where else should we start but with Manchester United? A disappointing window so far for the Old Trafford club. We have obviously the ongoing saga of both Jadon Sancho and perhaps indeed as well, Usman Dembele. We do have an update for you. And of course, you've been asking on our social media channels to give you the latest on the player and his potential move to Manchester. We can tell you that two things have moved in terms of where we were when we last reported earlier this week. Most importantly is that Manchester United have proposed a different fee structure for Sancho, and that is that they are now offering a guaranteed €95 million, and that would be uh, a payment plan of nineteen million million per year over the five years of the proposed contract plus 15 million euros in variables, which would take it obviously to 110 million euros. And in doing so, um, they've simplified the variables with regard to achievements which need to be marked. Now, it was slightly um, mysterious, Duncan, to say the least, that a player of Sancho's importance to Borussia Dortmund did not take the flight... Uh, which uh, they uh, then played Bar Munich in the German Super Cup. He's also not turned up for training due to this uh, illness, which has been um, described by Dortmund as a respiratory problem. Uh, Sancho himself, um, we understand, still remains very much committed to leaving Dortmund, as we've reported consistently over the last few weeks and months. And I'd say, Duncan, you know, I, I'm not going to say there's no smoke without fire, but it's certainly a huge coincidence that he should be struck down by this uh, illness at a time so crucial in the market and at a time when United um, have finally uh, been a little bit less um, obdurious in terms of the way that they are willing to structure the transfer fee and the way that it's paid. Um, you've been reporting about Usman Dembele of Barcelona being an alternative. And obviously, those reports, um, the other people following you up, have been multitudinous uh, these last few days. Um, Where do you think the situation lies now? Do we think it's more with Sancho or more with Dembele?
1: I think with Sancho, it looks like you see there something we had said might need to come into play at the end of the window, which is the player pushing for a move. Um, So hypothetically, if Sancho has decided to put pressure on Borussia Dortmund, and we know he's agreed terms with uh, Manchester United, we know the agents deal is agreed with Manchester United. We know he's told Manchester United players in the club that he wants to come. So, you know, all the bits and pieces from from the player's side are in place. But hypothetically, should you want to put pressure on your club, not playing in a match against Bayern Munich, um, important match in Germany, and not training uh, would be a way to do that. And, you know, we've seen in other situations where players have put pressure on in these circumstances, that it is covered up with a story such as the player is ill, because there isn't a resolution yet. It's quite possible that Jadon Sancho will end up remaining at Dortmund, that Dortmund will stick to their word that United have not met their financial terms, they haven't done it within um, the time limit specified. Uh, they have many, many individuals at their club now on record They're saying that Sancho will remain and stay for the season. So should they do that, then both sides have uh, a get-out and that they can say, well, he was ill, um, now he's well again, and now he's playing again. As you have noted, a story we reported on the Transfer Window podcast months ago, that there'd been a, a query... From Uligunar Solskjaer's side about Usman Dembele's potential availability as an alternative to Sancho has um, hardened into a, a situation where the clubs, both clubs, are now briefing that there has been direct talks between Barcelona and Manchester United. As we told you last month, those talks have involved Ed Woodward and other senior officials at Manchester United calling senior individuals at Barcelona to ask whether that deal could be done. At the time we were reporting it, um, both Barcelona and Manchester United were apparently saying off record that it wasn't true. It was in fact true. Those discussions were going on. We talked about why Barcelona and Manchester United wanted to keep that secret. It's interesting that they're now um, prepared to brief about that. The situation is with Dembele, as I understand it, has not really changed greatly from um, when we reported it on the podcast last month. In that Manchester United have asked about a loan deal, single season loan deal. Barcelona categorically said we will not loan the player for a single season without there being an obligatory option to buy. Um, They value the player at 100 million euros. My guidance is that for 80 million euros, that deal could be done with Barcelona uh, still needing to secure a lot of money in the final days of the window. Um, The player initially said, no, I don't want to leave, I want to remain at Barcelona. What has shifted is the information I have is he's more open to a move now uh, and is considering it. The agent has asked for a very substantial commission to do that deal. So what you see there is that there is an alternative option in place for Manchester United. But as it stands, to do it would be very expensive. You're talking about a player who's already paid very well at Barcelona. You're talking about a big commission. You're talking about a transfer fee that, albeit it could be left um, till next summer to pay. You could pay a one-season loan. Um, fee and then uh, the the balance of the transfer fee coming a year later and in, in much the way that um, Tottenham have set up their deal for Carlos Vinicius the Benfica striker, um, it would be very close to the kind of money that they're looking at putting down for Jadon Sancho. So you you have a difficult situation there, and if you do go for that alternative move, people will say, "Well, you said Sancho was your preference. You said he was your priority. Um, you've." failed to do that deal because you didn't get to the money Dortmund wanted at the time they wanted and you. but you've ended up spending a large amount of money on someone else instead. So I don't think this is in any way an easy situation for United to resolve. I think they're fortunate in that um, Laguna Solskjaer is not pressuring them. He, he did a press conference today in which um, he essentially turned around many of the things he'd said over the last several months since since uh, Manchester United's season ended and at the end of their season talking about how they needed to improve the squad and the squad wasn't good enough and he required depth. He w- he was quizzed about these things today and, and um, was very pacific. He um, was very much playing the company line that... Um, We tried to do some things in the window and and it hasn't come off. He he said, I think my word in lockdown exploit was a bad word by me because I didn't mean that in that respect. I meant there might be clubs out there and players out there that has to move because of the situation and it might be something interesting for us. At the moment, we've not had, um, and he says, had the, the, the like, what's the word here now? There's not been those situations. He then went on to talk about how he hadn't used many players last season and he didn't feel he had the squad depth last season and he consistently used the same 11, 12, 13 players because they played really well, but argued that it's a different scenario now. After two games already, I've seen many of the players that didn't play too much last season performing really well. Uh, And he said, we have the players to get results, which, I mean, I think anyone... Uh, looking at that and looking at the way Manchester United have played in their opening games of the season, um, being pretty comprehensively beaten at home by Crystal Palace and then needing a penalty that was given after the final whistle had been blown at Brighton and Hall Valvian to win a match where they'd been outplayed by lowly Brighton, um, would say... Uh, that to, to argue that he's seen lots of players doing well who weren't doing well last season and are performing really well and therefore they don't need uh, to go heavily into the market is very much saying what he thinks his owners and his superiors want him to say um, a few days ahead of the window closing. We also have the Alex Telles situation. Um, again, Manchester United have... Recognise that they are interested in signing a um, player who's regarded as FC Porto's best player to strengthen at left back. Um, as we told you in the the last edition of the podcast, the best offer they've made so far is 10 million euros. My information is that they've not improved that offer since the start of the week. Porto are saying that they expect another offer from Manchester United, but they're also saying that the price. £20 minimum has not changed. Manchester United must pay that or they will not let the player leave. Um, Seen a lot of discussion. He's only got a year of contract. Therefore, FC Porto will cave at the end. Porto's line is that the player is is very important to them, both defensively from a goal-scoring point of view. He takes penalties. He creates a lot of goals. Um, They would rather retain a player who's so important to them than sell him for 10 million euros. He's worth more to them on, on the pitch, carrying on playing for them, than uh, cashing in for a 10 million euro fee when they think 20 million is the right price. And remember, they're playing for Champions League qualification, again, which is worth roughly 50 million euros to them each season. They're playing for the Portuguese title. Um, I think if Manchester United's calculation is that they can get this player cheap because he's got a year left of contract and and Porto will fold. Certainly the information I'm getting from the people close to the club and who know the, the Porto president, um, Pinto da Costa, they say when he says a price, that is the price. He will not fold on his price. So it looks like it's headed for one of those miscalculations Manchester United are very good at in the transfer market where they end up paying the price they want. And, and certainly Porto have noted the fact that Woodward is trying to sell Marcus Rojo, in this window. Um, player who there's very little interest in. He's got some offers from Turkey and Argentina, not good financial offers, i.e., less than his, the £8 million a year salary that Ed Woodward decided to give him um, a couple of years ago. Yet Woodward's asking basically the same price for Rojo, who has a year of contract left, as he's prepared to pay for Alex Tellez, who is central to Porto's. Um, team, it, it just that there's a lack of understanding of the reality of the transfer market when you think you can get 10 million euros for Marcus Rojo, but you think you don't, you shouldn't have to spend more than 10 million for a top player from another league, a, a Brazil international.
0: This seems to be a recurring problem Duncan with Manchester United and it's one which in chatting to people in European football specifically, and by that I mean chief executives, heads of recruitment, etc. United's transfer policy, recruitment policy, call it what you will, has lurched from one extreme to the other in the last few years, Um, because three, four years ago, maybe even less than that, uh, there was an arrogance about Manchester United in terms of Uh, we get Manchester United, we get what we want. So um, regardless of uh, what might have been value or not, they were able to recruit Paul Pogba. Uh, They were able to recruit uh, several players. Angel Di Maria is another good example of of perhaps overpaying for a player as well. Um, And Alexis Sanchez was probably one of the worst examples of investment in terms of both the fee and the salary that they paid for him. And
1: I think, now. I think you have to add Harry Maguire to that list if we're talking about <laughs> overspending on. on
0: well, him. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and now they've gone to the other extreme, whereby, as you rightly point out, Alex Teller is one of the best uh, players in Europe and a very, very crucial player in his current club, they think they can simply go in and say, oh, we'll give you 10 million euros. It's almost like, you know, offering, uh, I don't know, it's like a begging bowl almost uh, saying, oh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll just give you what we think he's worth, but we're not going to negotiate with you, Um, which is not how things are done. And especially because United have this reputation of doing things the other way. And now they're reaping what they have sowed. However, it's very, very interesting that um, Solskjaer today, as you pointed out, has taken and towed the party line of, well, we tried to do things, they didn't come off, maybe we're going to just have to cope with what we've got, et cetera, et cetera. This is not by any means what United fans want to hear. They've seen Manchester City break their transfer record. They've seen Liverpool even recruit from the position of strength that they are in with regards to being the champions of England. They've seen Chelsea break all of their records in terms of spend in a single window to make themselves competitive for the the season as we go onwards. And yet, no major signing other than Dorry van der Beek, for Manchester United. Do you think the Glazers and Ed Woodward are almost playing on the fact that criticism can't be vented and voiced in uh, the stands at Old Trafford, that the voices have to be only on social media or fan sites, et cetera, et cetera, and therefore effectively not silenced, but certainly more quiet than they would be had they had 72,000 people at a match watching them play badly against Crystal Palace or Brighton and saying, this is not good enough?
1: Well, we know they don't like the social media criticism uh, because they had that ludicrous brief um, what just a week ago where they tried to argue that the the criticism, the negativity in social media was affecting the performances of the team, um, which is just one of the most bizarre things I've he- heard a club brief to journalists um, in in many years of covering football in England and, and got a suitably um, incredulous response from a big chunk of that Manchester United support. Yeah, I, th- I think you make a good point where they to have lost 3 1 to Crystal Palace at Old Trafford, um, with the situation they are in with Jaden Sancho, it probably wouldn't have been an enjoyable afternoon for Ed Woodward um, and any of the Glazers had they attended that game. So, uh, yes, it probably does make it easier for them. What certainly makes it easier for them, or easier for them, is Uli Gunnar Solskjaer being the manager. I, you know, I, I have a sympathy that he is not prepared to criticise um, the Glazers and Ed Woodward over recruitment because he must know, as we know, the only reason he has that job is because of the Glazers and Ed Woodward. There is not a chance he would have been hired for a similar position at another English or major European football club who were looking for an interim manager if it was not for his history at the club. Um, and he knows that he's dependent on them both to, to get into that job and to sustain his position in that job. He could easily have been dismissed last season given the the results he delivered. Worst ever start to a Premier League season. Um, so it's difficult for him to criticize them. and I, And I think that obviously helps that the Glazers and Woodward to push this to the limits and, and not uh, pay the money uh, for their first choice that was asked of them by Borussia Dortmund because they don't have the, the manager adding to that um, external pressure on them by, by making difficult comments. Um, We've seen it happen with previous managers and we've seen what happened to them. Maybe it will turn out for the best for Manchester United. Maybe um, Solskjaer's decision not to criticise will allow them to carry on with him. Um, Maybe their grandmaster plan on recruitment and uh, the cultural reboot and and handing um, a large degree of control over the the organisation of the playing side to Solskjaer, something which he talked about. Uh, in that press conference today um, when asked about what degree of progress there'd been in the, I think it's the 95th game under his charge when he plays um, Jose Mourinho's Tottenham this weekend. He essentially declined to answer that question saying, I'm not sure if I'm the one to talk about progress or or where we are at. Maybe it'll all come right for them and, uh, and that, that lack of criticism will keep Solskjaer in their good books and, and allow this, you know, this great strategy to play through and and the team turn into Manchester United of old. It doesn't look that way from what we see in the, on the football field. It doesn't look from the things we hear about what's happening in the dressing room, uh, the way the players are trained, um, you know, that path of progress um, just isn't obvious at Manchester United. Um, they have a manager who <laughs> doesn't, have in my view the credentials and the ability to turn them into winners again um, and they have people in charge of the club as you say you know you, you talk to individuals who deal in the transfer market at a high level you talk to technical directors at other clubs and they will laugh at the way Manchester United handled themselves in the transfer market will even say that they are easy to take advantage of um, when you're uh, dealing with them in these situations. And certainly that the for all the time we spent talking about Jadon Sancho um, in this window, you look at the history of what they've done signing big players, making big deals over the last two, three windows, and every single time they end up paying what the club they are buying them from asks for. They did it with Sporting and Bruno Fernandes, despite making a great song and dance about how The Sporting were overpricing the player and they weren't going to go there. They did it with Harry Maguire. They did it with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. The history is of them folding and paying what they're asked for um, and making repeated mistakes in their transfer negotiations.
0: An update just before we leave Manchester United in this particular episode of the Transfer Window podcast on Ismaili Saar, who appears to be the third choice in terms of that right-sided attacking midfield position where Manchester United want to strengthen. Watford are not prepared to be taken advantage of, uh, and along with everyone else in European football, by Manchester United. And um, we are told that while Sar is available for a permanent transfer, uh, United have made an offer of taking one loan for a season and paying a loan fee, however, Watford have informed United that they must uh, agree a deal which would see them realise their valuation of the player, which would be around 45 to 50 million euros, uh, with an obligation to sign permanently after a season long loan, or buy him now. Um, Otherwise, that's a deal which they do not want to do. Now, this whole aspect, Duncan, of um, where we are right now with regards to elite clubs and spending. So with the exception of Chelsea, um, who have a generous benefactor, and obviously of Manchester City, uh, who are nation state owned, uh, although that phrase winds up quite a few of our listeners. I'm sure they know why we say it by now. Um, We have this weird situation where um, you and I have both been uh, involved in conversations with people at the likes of Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and even Paris Saint-Germain, where we're being told that the transfer budget at these elite super clubs where normally they would expect a spend between two, 300 million euros or more in a window. Um, it's gone down to double figures. Incredibly. And this is something which uh, you've learned, Duncan, in the transfer to Barcelona of uh, the Ajax right-back, Sergio Dest.
1: Yeah. Ajax managed to get that player in competition against Bayern Munich. Um, Bayern Munich will won- right back and they, like Barcelona, identified Dest as a a young player with a huge amount of potential, got a very good attitude um, to developing himself. But what I'm told is that Bayern's budget for that position, in fact their budget gross unless they sell some players um, before Monday's deadline is just 15 million euros. That's all the money they've got to play with going into the last days. Barcelona managed to get the player. They agreed a fee of 26 million euros, which seems strange given that they are desperately trying to raise cash. But talking to friends at Ajax, they said, um, yeah, there is a special relationship between the clubs. Um, Dest wanted to go to Barcelona. We have agreed a deal which helps Barcelona in the sense that we've allowed it to be paid over multiple years with a low upfront fee. So um, actually there's not much cash going into that from Barcelona immediately, which has enabled them to do it. Uh, Other clubs, yeah, Paris Saint-Germain is a good example here. Um, Paris Saint-Germain, trying at the moment to sign Hossam Awar from Lyon who are desperate to raise cash and and are on record about how they need to sell a couple of players in the final days of the window. They've been trying to move Memphis Depay to Barcelona, it has got one year left of contract. They're now trying to sell Awar who's probably the best player in their team and in normal circumstances they would not want to sell but they're they're trying to get money through him because they're running out of alternative options. PSG are competing with Arsenal for him, but PSG's proposal is to take the player on loan for a season and start paying for him in a year's time. I know PSG have also called other clubs, um, important feeder clubs, uh, sort of second tier uh, developers of talent in European football and asked to sign their players on loan and had senior people at the club saying, you want to take one of our players on loan, you're you're Paris Saint-Germain. You are run on Qatari money. If you want one of our players, you pay cash. That's how it works. And this, well, we can't do that at the moment. We're over 150 million euros in the red. Um, It's a loan with an option to buy or no deal at all. And there, there are people waiting in... Sort of the the middle tier clubs in in Europe who are used to selling to superpowers like Barcelona, Bayern, um, Paris Saint-Germain, they're waiting, hoping that a bit of liquidity gets injected into the market over these last few days. And and I think mainly hoping that the Premier League throws a bit of money. Um, I was asked who has still got cash to spend in the Premier League in the last few days. Um, they want to see that money come into the market so it trickles down to other clubs and they buy from them and then they have a bit of money to do the deals they want. At the moment, most of the queries are can we take players on loan with an option to buy or on loan? There's, no, there's very little money in the European football market from clubs who, attend, who usually have money to spend in these circumstances to actually get deals done.
0: I guess this is part of the new reality, Duncan, um, sort of post, not post-pandemic, because obviously we're still in the middle of it. Yeah. But it certainly is the case that um, we expected um, a recession with regards to the transfer market. Uh, And while the window um, was certainly quite interesting and exciting to begin with, mainly through Chelsea's spending, um, Chelsea probably actually done deals... Uh, at levels which uh, they would not um, have expected in terms of economic value uh, a year ago or certainly two years ago for players that they have recruited. But they are the only sort of big club in Europe who have spent and spent and spent. However, there is a unique situation now that we find at Manchester City where having... Um, invested quite heavily, obviously, in two centre-backs, as well as Ferran Torres at left wing to replace Leroy Zane. Injuries to both Sergio Aguero and Jesus have meant that they will or necessarily will be drawn into the market to sign a player who can take up that mantle at least for the next four to six weeks. Which seems like, you know, a kind of bit of an indulgence. I guess there's some if you talk about you know millions of pounds, but at the same time, City can't afford to be left behind in terms of points, and they need goals obviously uh, to get those points. But your information is that perhaps it's going to be slightly a different strategy with regards to not necessarily saying an out striker, but maybe someone who can provide goals but also play elsewhere.
1: Yeah, they've they've said in the last few days that they're they're looking for a forward to bring in, and obviously someone who can play at centre forward, or the equivalent of centre forward in a in a Guardiola formation um, to cover for Jesus and Aguero's absence, and then compete with them for the place, but also be able to play in other forward positions and other areas of the attack. So they're they're looking for a kind of multi-skilled. Um, Son young min type forward. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Son. I think they would struggle to get him out of Tottenham, whatever money they offered at the moment. But they have activated that in, in the last few days and we'll wait and see if they uh, complete a deal. I mean, it should be noted that they, they were ready to sell Gabriel Jesus last summer. They had a, an offer from Dortmund that they were prepared to take and that Gabriel Jesus refused to move to the Bundesliga, otherwise he would have gone. And they would almost certainly have signed Jean-Felix from Benfica um, as his replacement. Um, Instead, uh, Felix went to Atletico on um, 120 million euro plus record deal um, for the the Portuguese league. Um, Talking about Atletico, uh, It's another sign of of where the market is that they are close to loaning Thomas Lamar to uh, RB Leipzig and uh, Lamar was one of those uh, super expensive buys a couple of years ago. A player who was close to going to Arsenal eventually ended up at Atletico, had a number of top clubs uh, interested in him. He uh, is obviously highly paid at Atletico and Atletico have been trying to sell him uh, they have had no success in selling him and to clear some wage bill from their books, they're looking to, to loan him to Leipzig, which would uh, quite a drop down status for Lamar um, and obviously not a, an optimal solution for, um, for Atletico. Um, City have also been linked with a new left-back and certainly that has been a position they've been looking for and considering doing something with through the transfer window. Um, there's been reports of uh, that they were going to bid for Nicola Tagliafico, the Argentine left-back at Ajax. I'm told there's been no offer as yet. Um, Ajax will sell the player if the money is right, and Taglifico is ready to move. You know they are a development club; they, they are prepared to cash in on players in their their mid to late 20s um, when the right offers come in. But uh, they do not have anything from City at present, which again would suggest that um, that the forward has become a priority for Pep Guardiola and Chiki bergiristan and, and their Abu Dhabi. Uh, backers in these last days, uh, having had a less than um, satisfactory start to the Premier League season.
0: I was speaking to someone at Atletico the other day and they were saying that um, they were disappointed because when uh, they signed Thomas Lamar, they hoped that he would be bold, but in fact, he was too shy, too shy. That's one for, that's one for you uh, music lovers out there. Uh, I'm sure you get the joke uh, if you indeed want to. It was a a little bit tacky. Um, Is this, though, Duncan, a bit of a Wilfred Bonney moment for Man City when they signed him as a stopgap striker? um, And, of course, didn't quite work out for either party in that sense. Um, It seems to me like uh, you've got Kevin De Bruyne, you have Ryan Sterling, who can both play as false nines. Um, Pep is widely regarded as a coach who effectively invented the false nine uh, in terms of playing without a striker when he played Leo Messi there um, in his spell at Barcelona. Uh, it, I don't know, it just it, it kind of strikes me as being a little bit indulgent if you're gonna you know go out and spend twenty million quid on a player who effectively is going to be third choice.
1: We are are talking about a manager and a club that have spent over half a billion euros in transfer fee commitments on defenders and goalkeepers in the last four years. So a little bit indulgent.
0: We um, we may have mentioned that. I'm I'm pretty sure we've mentioned that on the podcast, yeah.
1: A little bit (laughs) indulgent isn't something that should surprise us about Pep Guardiola and Abu Dhabi, really. Um, (laughs) I think... uh, Just a little bit. You know... Uh, there are manchester city fans who've uh, redone the 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 manchester city badge to st- and with uh, and changed the logo to we do what we want um so i think a little bit indulgent would be in another alternative in in that area what i mean what's interesting is as i said they've been thinking about upgrading at striker before um you have an opportunity to take advantage of a covid market um, which, as you say, Chelsea have exploited very well and got players at cheaper prices than they would have got them and got players who, who would have gone to other clubs in other circumstances. It is, however, a bit late to be going for an elite striker um, and you also have, you know, a story we broke on on the Transfer Window podcast, you also have Kylian Mbappé coming up on next summer's market. Um having told Paris Saint-Germain that he will not extend his contract and he intends to leave when his contract drops down to that final year next summer. Um, He's told friends he's interested in moving to Liverpool, Barcelona, Real Madrid, also likes Manchester United. Manchester City, you would expect to play in that market. If you know Kylian Mbappe is available, you start doing the work to take a player like that in a year's time because you can build a team around him. You can, you know, you can have 10 years of a player who looks like turning into the best player in world football. Um, obviously Manchester City tried to sign him before he moved to Paris Saint-Germain. They were one of trio of clubs who were seriously um, involved in negotiations with Monaco to do that deal. They lost then. Um, so perhaps that's another reason why, if you need to find the forward to cover for Jesus and Aguero, um, for a short period, you don't go crazy, and you you save your uh, save your finances to to get involved in the chase for Mbappe next summer.
0: Curious case of relations and tradition in terms of the connection between Chelsea and Tottenham Hotspur. What? Um, holds them uh, in this particular relationship? Well, not just that they're both obviously London clubs but there is a rivalry uh, which according to the fans is um, probably more serious uh, than people uh, would like to think Um, but now with Jose Mourinho obviously taking up the position as head coach at Spurs uh, and also with the potential movement of players between the two clubs is building into something quite interesting, Duncan. But what they have in common is that both clubs want and are certainly marketing lots of players that they would like to dispose of in this particular window. Now, we have talked extensively about Chelsea's recruitment drive and the fact that they have... um, Probably been so far the most active club in England in terms of uh, signing players. At Spurs, um, not far behind, uh, especially with developments this week with regards to um, signing of the unknown of the striker Carlos vicinius as well. But um, it's her information that Chelsea are actively trying to um, move nine players. Out of the club uh, who are available for either permanent transfer or loan. Uh, we obviously told you in the Transfer Window podcast uh two weeks ago that Anthony Rudiger was a player who Frank Lampard had decided um, they could not see eye to eye after a particular incident on the training ground. And uh he has not featured as well for Chelsea. Uh Josie Mourinho has since expressed his interest in taking Rüdiger either on loan with a view to a permanent transfer um, or to reach some other agreement with Chelsea with regards to the player himself. Um, But also, um, interestingly, Duncan, Spurs, who um, are generally regarded as a, a club who make good decisions in terms of the market and indeed recruitment, um, seem to be not struggling a little bit, but certainly um, looking to a dispose of some players who otherwise you'd have thought might have been there for quite a long time. And, um, and by these, I mean Justin Fernandes and Serge Aurier.
1: Yeah, Mourinho is on record as saying he, he feels his squad is too big. He's got the same problem as, as Frank Lampard has got. He doesn't like having large squads and, and he. To be fair, he's been consistent to that throughout his managerial career. He's often talked about wanting to get squad numbers down to um, 23, so basically two for each position and three goalkeepers. Um, And and saying it's harder to manage uh, players when you've got too many who are not properly involved in training and not getting game time. Um, So now that Daniel Levy has started to bring players in, Um, and we've talked about how Gareth Bale and Sergio Reguilon while both very good players and both players that Mourinho was happy to have come to the club came in areas where the club were already very strongly um, provided for so there are four other left backs um, at Tottenham Um, obviously they're trying to get Danny Rose out they're also trying to get Ryan Sessegnon out on loan um, so that would help in that area and there's six um, second line forwards and they've been trying to move Deli Alley out um, so far unsuccessfully other players yeah Sergio Aurier I think is an interesting situation because Mourinho wanted to upgrade it right back he got that upgrade in Matt Doherty the idea had been to sell Aurier and he was made available to clubs, um, AC Milan in particular, were interested. deal was not agreed by the, the time Doherty's transfer went through. What I'm told is Aurier has now said that he's prepared to stay, um, would rather stay than, than move to one of these other clubs. And Mourinho said, OK, if you want to stay and remain part of the squad, fight for a place, I'm happy with that. I like you as a player. Um, he only had one uh right back for much of last season, senior experience right back for much of the last season. So from Mourinho's perspective, to have Ori and Doherty covering for each other in that position um, is a perfect setup. Um, who else could be going out? Juan Foyt um, has been offered on loan. Um, Villarreal are very interested in the player and it looks like he's going to end up going there. I think there's also interest from Fulham who are desperately chasing centre-backs uh, ahead of Monday's deadline until they want to get two centre-backs in if possible. Um, you mentioned Jetson Fernandes and that also is a player that Mourinho would be prepared to let leave if they can find a club for him to go to. He's, he was taken on a year and a half loan deal. So it's a complicated situation and that they'd have to find uh, Realistically, uh, an alternative loan forum, which Benfica would have to approve of, um, for him to move out. And I think if that can be done, then there's the possibility of another midfielder coming in, a more experienced central midfielder coming into Tottenham's ranks to give um, uh, you know further options. Um, of experience and a different type of midfielder than the mostly. He's got a lot of attacking players who who like to play. I think Jetson's problem is that he, he's effectively a similar player to the Dele Alley, who's already surplus to requirements. So that, that's possible. Um, they are still, of course, looking at a centre-back and that is absolutely Mourinho's priority is to get a top-level centre-back in um, to improve his defence. They've had that offer for Milan Skriniar, rejected by Inter. They offered 30 million euros. Inter value the player at 60 million or uh, are asking 60 million for him and and I'm told we'd be prepared to do it for 50 million, but well apart. And it looks from the Inter side that they do not expect that deal to happen. They have backed out of the attempt to sign Chris Smalling from uh, Manchester United, who's now... Uh, looks like he's going to make his move to Roma permanent instead. Um, One other option that's been floated as a possibility for centre-back at Tottenham is the Roma uh, Brazilian, former Brazilian international um, Juan Jesus, who Roma want about 8 million euros for as a 29-year-old. I don't think that would be the preferred choice of the manager. Um, but you're at that stage of the window where players are offered and players are assessed. And, um, you know, we know Daniel Levy's the guy who likes to do deals um, in the final days of the window. Um, and that I think that's the, the big test of, of what Mourinho has to work with for the, for the next season. Vinicius on loan it's an important move. He's given that alternative option to Harry Kane. They've done a quite a clever deal there, where it's only a three million loan fee, um, with an option to to buy at forty-five million last summer. But the three million will be deducted from that. They do it, so he's got the strength there. Um, if he gets a top-level centre back, he'll pretty much have got what he asked for going into this window in a difficult financial situation.
0: A significant move for a young. England under-21 striker, uh, Ryan Brewster, who has moved to Sheffield United, subject to medical, um, a fee up to an excess of £22 million. Um, Clever business by Liverpool with regards to um, waiting this long uh, in order to sell a player who has been marketed widely for the last six months.
1: I I think they've arranged a deal which is very much in in Liverpool's favour. Information I have is that there is a buyback clause in that deal and the buyback clause is not hugely higher than the fee Sheffield United have paid for the player. Um, So in the region of £35 million, I don't have an exact confirmation on it, but it's not a huge amount higher. And the problem with that is... Say Brewster has um, an exceptional season for Sheffield United and establishes himself as a player. England, um, under 21 international scoring goals in the Premier League. Um, he'll probably get into Gareth Southgate's team if he does really well because Southgate promotes players into the England senior squad very rapidly. Then his value goes to £50-60 um, in the course of a season. If he does what Sheffield United are signing him to do and expect him to do, then Liverpool can essentially buy the player back and sell him to the suitor and take additional profit on on the move. So they'll sell him for 50, 60 in a summer's time, having bought him back for whatever the precise number is on that that buyback clause and bank another, let's say 15 million pounds of profit on top of the 23 they're taking. Um, There are, there's a sell on. Um, should he go somewhere else with Liverpool not buying him back, there are performance-related variables in the deal. I think they've been very smart here and you see them, You know, I think they've elevated themselves in the transfer market to the kind of situation you see with Real Madrid and Barcelona um, where they, they, the status of all of their players, even the ones they don't use, um, raises itself to a level where they can, uh, get higher transfer fees for them than they would do if they were at other clubs and put clauses in the deals that uh, allow them to retain control over the player. Obviously, they can bring him back if he does really so well that they think he would, would fit in their team. They needed to raise cash in this window. Um, they they have a bit of a liquidity problem, so this, this obviously helps them. Um, and they had a few options out there, so Aston Villa... Um, were keen on Brewster, but I'm told decided to step away at the last minute. Crystal Palace tried very hard to get the player. I'm told his preference would have been to move to either of Crystal Palace or Aston Villa. Um, wanted to go to London if possible, but went to Sheffield United in the end because they met Liverpool's financial terms. Um, we'll see how he does for for the team and whether um, United get the return they expect on him on the playing field um, for this deal to make sense for them too.
0: Busy times all over the transfer window and also uh, at West Brom and Watford. Watford, of course, we updated you on with regards to Ismaili Saar earlier in the pod. But Duncan, interest in Gerard De La Feo, who you have to say has been um, one of Watford's better performers and, and, and also... Um, someone who I think the fans really, really adore, but perhaps maybe on his way out.
1: Yeah, we've said a few times that Watford have to raise money in this window and they've been trying to move some of their players out. Um, Troy Deeney, one of those players that they they would like to sell. Um, Danny Welbeck, um, also there. Um, I'm told they have significant interest from Russia in at Delafeo, uh, Locomotive Moscow are keen on taking him. Probably be for a single season loan with an option to buy um, and involve a you know a substantial increase in Delafeo's salary to convince him to go to Russia. But that could at least alleviate some of the wage bill issues that Watford have um, by moving one of their, their high earners off the books. West Brom um, Desperate to get a striker, have been for some time, made bids for several players. They have made an offer of £50 million for Huddersfield Town's former England youth international, Carlin Grant. That has been rejected by Huddersfield at this stage. Um, So West Brom's still hunting for that striker. They want to help them stay in the Premier League.
0: We will move on to the Dougie Award. Uh, for this week's Transfer Window podcast. It is, of course, a highlight of every person in football's uh, career. If they are nominated, never mind, actually receive the hallowed golden trophy. And, Duncan, I think we're waiting a long time for this particular um, nomination. And um, while it's no matter that we would treat lightly um, when someone contracts the COVID-19 virus, we do feel that we have to award um, this week's trophy in honour of the fact that Donald Trump himself, the President of the USA, has confirmed this morning that he's got the virus. And so we're going to do the Donald Trump award for the most inconvenient testing positive. Um, Now... We know in Football Duncan that uh, this has been a huge um, problem in terms of how we protect people in terms of the players, etc. And uh, biosecure bubbles have become a norm now for footballers, um, but yet they have also been breached. So I'm going to just tear open the um, golden envelope here because we need to find out what the nominations are under POTUS as he is referred to on Twitter the first Duncan is Leighton Orient FC who of course um, found that several of their players had tested positive and couldn't complete their EFL Cup fixture with Tottenham allowing Tottenham a bye into the next round something which um, is unusual in this day and age. the second nomination is David Moyes, uh, who also tested positive ahead of the West Ham uh, game against Wolves. Again, they won 4-0. And apparently he uh, guided his team by Zoom, which of course is what many of us have been doing with regards to talking to our friends and family over the last six to seven months. And finally... Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal head coach, who in some ways was a pioneer in terms of um, contracting Code 19, uh, and was the first major football personality to test positive, uh, which led um, in the following few days to a shutdown of football in terms of the Premier League. And of course, inadvertently allowed his or his clubs um, Arch rivals Tottenham to get Harry Kane fit and playing for the end of last season and indeed this season. Uh, Duncan, um, I'm going to leave it to you as always, but um, I think we've got some good contenders.
1: Yeah, I, we describe, you describe that as the most inconvenient testing positive. There is a school of thought in America that this is a very convenient positive test um, for Donald uh, I, Trump. You
0: see, I, I'm a humanist. I'm a humanist. I am a humanist i would I would
1: never have said that about a disease. Um, and, and looking through the, those, uh, the, the nominations, I think uh, convenient is, is the right word because you've got Arteta helping out Tottenham, um, I don't think they'd be in the Europa League if it wasn't for the Covid break that allowed them to uh, recover Harry Kane and Moussa Sissoko and, uh, and get enough points in those final games to, to get into European competition. Certainly didn't do David Moyes any harm. A 4-0 win over Wolverhampton Wanderers doesn't come very often. But the most convenient of all has to be the Covid tests at Leighton Orient, which were paid for by Tottenham um, because they were concerned about the danger of playing that game, rightly concerned as it turned out. Um, And uh, I've helped them avoid having to play two games in one midweek um, with the double up of, of Europa League qualifiers and and uh, and League Cup games that they faced and, and managed to get through this week. Um, so I'm going to give it to Leighton Orient and Tottenham Hotspur and, uh, uh, well, Frank Lampard might not agree with that one, but uh, Jose Mourinho I'm sure will.
0: Very, very good. Uh, So there we go, Lake Norrie. You are probably the most, let's just say, unexpected winner of the Donkey Award uh, so far. And we're very happy that we will be sending you that coveted golden statuette of Mr. Duncan Castles um, to put on, well, put in your your trophy cabinet, I guess, Duncan. What do you think? Do you think that Lake Norrie will be quite happy with that?
1: As long as it's properly sanitised, I'm sure they'll be happy with it.
0: (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, we can certainly send it sanitised. We can't guarantee it when it arrives, but there you go. Um, This has been the uh, last uh, podcast, obviously, of this week for the transfer window. We hope you have enjoyed um, what you've heard. Please, if you want to continue the debate, get in touch with us on our social media channels. Um, which you can find us on at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Of course, you've liked what you've heard. We know you do because you tell us and uh, we like when you tell us. And we like when you tell us when you haven't liked what you've heard because you will probably receive a reply from us um, engaging you in our debate. So in the um, former case please log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and then we can expand the community as such. We're available on all your normal podcast platforms and also on our YouTube channel. So just go to YouTube, search at Transfer Into Podcast, and you'll find us very quickly. We will be back next week um, to continue um, this uh, whole information stream. Obviously... uh, the window closes on monday the 5th of october uh so there'll be a huge amount of talking points and analysis when we next come to you you can contact duncan on at duncan castles on twitter and myself at garbo sj in between times uh now and then uh of course any questions always gratefully welcomed until then just leaving to say stay well be safe